Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is also sponsored in part by Uconnex. Uconnex provides managed services in the programmatic space for brands and agencies across the U.S. and internationally. It uniquely provides true transparency in the programmatic space by sharing how much of each campaign actually goes to publishers, platform, and how much is profit. If you are looking to better understand true working dollars or are just looking for an audit of your existing digital partnerships, visit them at uconnex.com. That's Y-O-U-C-O-N-N-E-X.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Sweets, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org. And don't forget to visit Marketing Cast to catch any previous seasons you might have missed of the CMO Suite or to check out other amazing podcasts in the industry. Once again, that's marketingcasts.com. Now, let's start the show. You're in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know, presented by Connectivity Holdings. You are listening to Season 6 of the CMO Suite. This is your host, Sean Halter. As a reminder, this season of the CMO Suite is presented in part by Bid for Media. We are now in the thick of it. We're working our way through the season, and we are super excited to have as our guest today, Matthew Gamash. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, I, I, pr- I pronounced your name correctly, correct? Matthew. It could be Matthew. It could be Matthew. Both uh, works. I was close. <laughs> and are you in Montreal? You're, it's a Canadian. Uh, uh, you worked with some Canadian companies. Are, are you in Canada? Yes, I'm in Canada. I work out of Toronto. Uh, and so I feel like when you and I were first kind of talking about potentially having you on the show, what it interested me at the time was obviously you'd spent some time at Hershey's. I definitely want to talk about that for mm-hmm. a little bit. I love chocolate. And then you've also been a member of the board of advisors for a Note app, which is a, an app I'm familiar with. But I think you've also just recently started as chief sales and marketing officer and a co-founder for something called Zero DB. Exactly. Yeah, it's almost unoriginal now to be a, a guy from big core, big CPG to make the jump to a startup. But it's something that I've been mulling over for a while, actually. I've been advising nodes, but also zero GB for two years okay. before I made a jump. So it's kind of, it was kind of a way for me to exercise my entrepreneurial muscle as I was working for a big bigger corporation like Hershey. I think that, that the whole category itself, I was just at grocery shop in uh, Las Vegas, grocery store, grocery shop, something pretty similar to that. I'll look it up so I don't end up looking like a complete idiot. <laughs> the whole category itself is, it's kind of blowing up. You know, when I was a kid, you used to see commercials for cereal on TV and actual, you know, products mm-hmm. on TV. And then it seemed like it kind of, I don't want to say it went away, but you didn't see nearly as much kind of brand development. A lot of what you end up seeing brands do was obviously kind of speak to grocers at, at the store or people at the store. But 
I think what's most interesting to me about that CPG category right now is the fact that there's a lot of shoppers who aren't even going into a store. As a matter of fact, as I'm yeah. on this podcast with you, you know, I've got my ship shopper who's at the grocery store right now, literally, you know, putting an order in for me. And so I, I don't, I don't walk a grocery store aisle. And so. Mm-hmm. What a huge opportunity to me for CPG brands, which you know we we've worked with many in the past with some of the companies that we own to kind of level the playing field, you know, a lot. Absolutely, it's exciting. absolutely yes, um, and that's kind of a, a bit of a trap for big CPG uh, as well, because uh, one of the main we don't talk about that too often, but a main barrier to entry for com- competitors are the distribution channel, so the retailers. Absolutely. If the big retailers, especially in the past, would say, "I don't want you on shelf." Yeah. Uh, that's it. Then you're not getting in. Now, DTC, alternative channel, a ton of brands can create what well, could create a product and access at consumers a lot easy, a lot more easily. You know, it's that access word that's critical. I want to make sure we talk a bit about your childhood a little bit as well and kind of where you went. But at the same <laughs> time, that word, did you say, uh oh? At, <laughs> at, at the same time, that word access is so interesting in this space to me right now, probably more than any other space, you can you can dream up something, you can build something in that space, you can talk mm-hmm. to consumers directly, now very directly, right. have access to them. You could even skip the grocery store altogether if you if you wanted to, if you just wanted to be on Amazon Absolutely. and give away 70% of the profit or whatever that uh, markup uh, you know, uh, is uh, from that space. But at the very least, the requirement that you be mid-shelf seems as if it's changing faster and faster and certainly COVID kind of uh, accelerated that to some extent. Absolutely. I mean, it's a whole new dynamic that's developing. I was talking to someone in a different food startup or kind of a little tight-knit community and we're exchanging tip. And these guys are in the cereal business, so cold cereal. And they developed, they got to $5 million um, revenue before they even hit the store shelf. So they have a full-blown developed business with some good revenues, at least for stuff for a young startup. And when they go to retailers as a second step, they have a fully developed story, a fully developed success story before they even start talking to retailers. That's very unique. You're in Canada. I'm assuming that's where you grew up? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up. I I was born in Quebec City, so the French-Canadian side of Canada, hence my accent. (laughs) <laughs> well, like I said, I I figured it was either Montreal or Quebec or somewhere around there. It's absolutely Canada is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And so, how was that? Was that uh, you have brothers and sisters? What did your What did your mom and dad do when you were a kid? So I got a sister, an older sister. Uh, she's in HR. Uh, my parents always been an entrepreneur. So my both my my mother and my father never worked for an employer. And so I was born in a very entrepreneurial household. And that was both a, a blessing and a curse. I got inherited that kind of entrepreneurial side of them. But I was also knew a lot too much about entrepreneurial life uh, to go in there in a naive way, like most entrepreneurs do. You go in thinking everything's going to be easy. Yeah, right. uh, you're going to be your own boss. Life is great. <laughs> <laughs> I knew too much. I think it wasn't that rosy. Uh, it was a most of more a roller coaster a ride than a nice boat ride on the calm waters. (laughs) At the same time, it probably has prepared you in some ways. And obviously, again, we want to Mm. talk about some of your your previous stops along the way because you've been some great places like Kraft Foods and uh, McDonald's and some other stuff like that. But it does allow you to be a late-stage entrepreneur and kind of already have maybe established some understanding of the industry itself, which certainly helps. Yeah, yeah. Be able to potentially, at least for me, I, I started my first company at 40. So I was a very late stage uh, yeah. kind of entrepreneur, but I had saved enough money, you know, some FU money to be able to kind of say, you know what, let me go do this thing. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back. They always want more of me. And I've just yeah. never 
gone back. What, what's odd for us a little bit, uh, Matthew, at this point is then as you get a little bigger and then you start looking at, at potentially selling off or selling you know, yeah. larger pieces, they want you to go with it. And we've actually walked away from a couple deals because <laughs> I, I had to go work for them for four years. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I'd rather not have the earn out because I, I don't want to work for anybody else. I, I already oh. <laughs> That's the whole reason why I started this entrepreneurship thing. So kind of interesting. But I, I love what you're saying because exactly where I am right yeah. now. You got a little more financial independence. You can take that risk from a different perspective. And I'm also looking at this job, at this opportunity of bringing ZeroDB to the next level, less in a sense of I want to be a success, financial success and all that, more in a sense of I've seen big corporation. I know what I want and what I don't want. And now it's about building, building and creating more than just a pure, a pure success. It's a very different approach than if I were 25 yeah. and doing the same thing. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the time back when you were around 25. You, you spent yeah. some time, maybe in either your late 20s or early 30s, I'm not sure, at Kraft. And you were there for mm-hmm. almost Nine 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah. A, a chunk of time. How was that job? I'm assuming, again, all of that was in Canada. And was there kind of any difference between the Canadian version of that and the U.S. version of, of that back in the day, if you can remember back to 2013? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, well, first of all, if you're entrepreneurial and you don't have quite the courage to make the jump at a young age, I'd say brand management is one of probably the closest to an entrepreneurial job than what you can find within a big corporation because you own, the brand is like a mini business. There's a, it's not only doing the marketing and the creative side of it, it's managing a PL. So you're kind of managing your own little business and you got revenue targets to it and all that. So it's the closest I would say you can get from entrepreneurial job from being an entrepreneur in Canada, even more so because of the size of the market, you have the whole country is still sizable compared to the U S is 10 times smaller. So what it means is your function is a lot less fragmented. So you own more of it and you got fewer people. So you got probably a broader view on all aspects of the brand. For example, it was like that at Kraft too, but at Hershey, it was managing two big portfolio, Reese's brand and O. Henry, which is bigger brands than Snickers in Canada. Um, so it's small in the U.S., but it's big in Canada. So I was overseeing those two brands where in the U.S., and I had four people to do the whole thing, the whole program. And we're creating original campaigns. We're doing all, everything. In the U.S., I had, there's multiple levels, multiple. There's at least five times the number of people and multiple levels um, from assistant to senior to direct director to senior director on one brand. So that gives you a little more of a fragmented view on the business, a little less of a sense of, of control. Um, I got to go to the craft headquarters and interview Eduardo Luz when he was the CMO uh, over there. So that was actually uh, pretty fun. And then what was interesting for him was he, when he departed his time at Kraft, he went to, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say Eight Greens was a little bit of a startup, but it was in some ways certainly mm-hmm. kind of a different size. I think it gave him a chance to kind of cut his teeth a little bit on on either startup or kind of, again, just something a little bit different. And um, I, think he's, yeah. I think he's at Panera now. But that said, you were there for about nice. nine years and then you left there and, uh, yeah. and you were loving it. You went to, uh, you went to McDonald's. McDonald's. Yes. Yes. And it was a bit of, so when you're, it was, the craft was my first marketing job, but after nine years I've done, I've managed a, a, a sizable number of brands and I've done four years on and off in innovation and kind of felt like that, I, you know, I've seen a lot of the, of the organization 
and I wanted to expand in a different different industry. And my ways of actually selecting, looking at the next opportunity was, you know, I wanted to develop as, I set a vision for myself as a marketer. I wanted to be a world-class marketer. And from there, I said, well, okay, so if you're a world-class marketer, what does that mean? And so those world-class marketers, it was really admiring marketers who were winning at Cannes, the, the, big, the big show, the Oscar marketing. I started looking at, okay, who's winning at, at Cannes? And that year in Canada, in Canada well, the Canadian organization was a huge contributor of making McDonald's the marketer of the year that year. Oddly enough, as I, as I identified McDonald's as a target, I added my email a posting for an opening at McDonald's. That it was a Friday, and it was actually a Monday morning following that Friday. So serendipity, call it whatever it is, but it, you know, it, was a, it was a sign. And I went after that job and got it. So I was in charge of the breakfast portfolio and dessert portfolio as well. And so let's stay on that for just a second. Do you think it is serendipitous? It is odd sometimes, isn't it? Uh, And I'm sure that happens across a lot of industries. I've always been in marketing or entertainment for pretty much my entire working life other than when I was a a paper route kid. But you, you do find that sometimes. Sometimes you do end up, I don't know, it just seems weird. You're thinking of something and then it just kind of comes to you some way, somehow. Right. Well, you know, at a time I was reading The Secret, so it was not too long. Uh, after I read The Secret. So it was basically what I took away from this is you just got to have clarity on where you want to go and what you want to do so that when you see opportunity, they're more visible to you because you put it on paper and then you, you know, have clarity on what you want to do. And that was, that was what motivated me to put it on paper. And when you're a brand manager and you're managing brand, we, I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but at least at Kraft, we were always drawing what we call a strategic house chart for, for the brand with a grand vision and some key strategic pillars that we're linking up to specific execution to meet your plan. And I decided to do it for myself. You know, I've been, been doing it for years for brands. Like, why not me as a, as a person having that kind of structure and vision of what I, where I, wanted, what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And that's what led to identifying McDonald's. So my vision of where I wanted to be as a world-class marketers and all the way down to, okay, that, so it made sense to target McDonald's and then everything became more visible. And I, it made me notice that opportunity where before probably maybe I would have looked, overlooked it's the worth, opportunity. It's worth not skipping over just that. You know, we're in our sixth season. It's a blessing. We've been super lucky to have had all kinds of brand managers from all over the world. And uh, as you probably know, we don't pre-prep these shows. We stopped doing that probably after season two because it just felt a little canned. It felt mm-hmm. a little... A little um, like, oh, I, I already know the answer to this because I, I thought right. about it. But by not over-prepping, sometimes within any conversation, you can pull something out that's either just interesting or it's a moment. Or as you're thinking of somebody's you know, time historically, something will just pop out. And so the point that you mm-hmm. just made to me is kind of already this lean-in moment of this episode. You know, you're talking about the fact that you've done all these things as a brand manager and you're thinking about how do I expand this brand or build this brand out. But so often we forget to do that for ourselves, you know, right. or we're right. scared to do it or we're just not sure how to do it. We know that it's smart maybe, but either we're having a bad run or again, as we all know, you know, the tenure for a lot of CMOs or VPs of marketing or people in some of those positions, it's three or four years on average. And that's yeah. either because 
a lot of opportunities come from that, which is great. You know, it's a great uh, opportunity sometimes to move into a different direction, either a CEO or or some other direction. Um, or also, again, because of consolidation or other parts or pieces, it's a volatile yeah. seat. It's a hot seat sometimes. Yeah. And so I hope that, you know, people that are listening to this episode as they're kind of driving in their car or riding the train or whatever it is that they're doing, I hope they'll think about what you just said and really think mm-hmm. about themselves because ultimately, unless you're an entrepreneur, which we're going to get to in just a minute, you're yourself. You know, you're, you are your own business. And as much as you may love your boss and your boss may love you, yeah. you don't know that tomorrow that person's not going to move up or move out or, or wherever. Hopefully, if they move up or they move out, they may take you kind of along with them. Um, it's interesting. I've got a, an episode coming up later today with um, the CMO for FTD. And uh, Charlie Cole used to be uh, the CMO for Toomey Bags, which I knew him from there. Then he went over to FTD and then he moved up and he brought some Toomey people with him. And so again, sometimes yeah. in these episodes, we talk about the fact that once you've built a relationship, sometimes you can kind of navigate those through. But you took that moment to really think about yourself as a business and, yeah. and, and plot it out. And it works. And it works on many levels. As in, you know, it's easy to get stuck into, especially when you're for a, long, for a number of years with the same organization. When you go through the motion every year, or you got your development plan, you're talking regularly of how we can take the next step, and, and you get a tunnel vision on what's your career path, and you're easy to get focused. Okay, it's always obsessed by what's the next level, when I'm going to get to the next level. And you got from one manager to another, different kinds of recipes to get there. And you sort of forget yourself or who you want independently of what organization you're with, who you want to be as a professional, how do you want to develop, you know, and find the, the passion for the job, you know, the actual job, the craft, or in this case, a marketer, a brand manager, what's that, what are the skills that you want to develop and as a person, as a professional, outside someone else's perspective. Because otherwise, you're always kind of a, at the mercy of someone else telling you who you need to be. And as you change, as your manager changes, you become something different. So when you have that clear vision, then it helps you select organization. You went, okay, my time's up at this organization. It's taking a direction where too much of something I don't want to be that's required of me. So time now to find a different place, a different culture, a different opportunity that would fit what I want to be as a person, as a professional. And it also isn't to say that you can't change that along the way. Just sometimes the fact of mm, sitting yeah, down and, and thinking about it and building out your own as a manager, a two-year plan, a three-year plan, a four-year plan, doesn't mean that no, can't absolutely. be adjusted. Sometimes it might even help you fall back in love with the oh. job that you have because you realize how passionate you can be about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and at our age, and I'm sure you, you've seen that transition at one point where you go from, okay, what do I need to soak in from someone to, oh, I, I got experience now. I can seek people who need help and be a contributor of helping other people. There's that transition also happening. And that change what you want for the environment you're in too. For me, as you change. For me as an entrepreneur, one of the interesting things was as I as I feel like I kind of tipped to that point of like, okay, people are coming to me now for all the information. Yeah. I felt like I kind of hit this glass ceiling a little bit. I've got a couple of trade organizations yeah. I'm part of, but the podcast actually really helped me substantially with that because it allowed me to be able to sometimes kind of seek people out who, who I wanted to gain some inside knowledge yeah. from or just some opportunity to go like, well, how did you do this or what is this? And right. so again, you never know when that, when that situation will come. Let's talk about something else I'm super passionate about, which is chocolate. I love chocolate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I love if I, you know, if you, if you were still at Hershey's, I'd show you my candy jars. They're all full of uh, all, <laughs> all, all kinds of great products like Reese's and all the good stuff back there. Nice. That said, how'd you find that? job. I feel like Hershey's a, is a little, I don't want to say secretive, but 
I don't feel like you hear uh, in the U.S. as much about them in the trades as you hear about a lot of other kinds of brands. Yeah, it is a little more conservative in their ways. But I was lucky to come in at a time, at a very special time in the Canadian organization, where we had a new leader in the organization who was open to use Canada as a little bit or a bit of a bench top. Yeah. Like it was to, to try things. And so there was that will to do things differently. And I came in at that moment in time where my style and where I was in my career was just perfect for the, what they wanted to do. They went, they were just transitioning from being almost 100% TV by, not really aware of how to use social media and the new one at the time, fair, not so new, but digital media, but for them it was new. So it was, and I was bringing my, my experience from McDonald's, which was very different from McDonald's, what I took away from my experience at McDonald's is, because it's very an in, intensely focused on creative. So every, every week I was in the room with a CMO reviewing creative. I've done more creative work at McDonald's in three years than in all my nine years at Kraft, even though I was doing quite a bit of creative work at, at McDonald's. And what, I, what was very different from McDonald's is that as a, the agencies are a lot more integrated into the marketing organization. It's a very real partners, real strategic partner, where at Classic CPG, the relationship with the, with the agency is a lot more adversarial. So it's, I'm paying you for giving me a good idea. If I'm not getting in the first round, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Where it was more of a process at McDonald's. And I brought that to Hershey and it really worked. We had really early success. The agency was craving that kind of relationship. And, you know, once you, you get that trust relationship with the agency, you get magic. It's the gift that keeps on giving because yeah, you're the person, you're the team who are known to buy the great ideas. And so the great ideas are coming to you. Because what, what most, a lot of marketers don't know and understand is they don't have to give you the great ideas. And when you identify as someone who's not buying good ideas, you stop getting good ideas. And that's a really bad place to be. So we... Yeah. I, I was only just going to add to that point, which is I feel like sometimes the, those best marketers that I talk to are just that. They're the, they're the kinds of people male and female that are saying, all the great ideas don't have to be mine. In fact, it's better if they're not. Let's bring a bunch of different people to the table, whether you're insourcing some of your agency work, you're outsourcing some of it. That opportunity just to bring different people in. I look at an organization yeah. like Casey Herbis and Rocket Mortgage. You know, They have a, a huge in-house team, but they also use mm-hmm. a ton of outside resources yeah. because it just brings a different perspective in it. Just you know, you, you get a different viewpoint of some things along that way. And ultimately that's that's what we're, we're trying to do here with marketing, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And you, you think about, it's funny, you're laying down that perception of Hershey. It was exactly where we were before. But at the end of this, which was like two years in, we were able to sell in and for, uh, creative ideas like Wayne Reef 425. Right at the year where uh, marijuana was getting legalized in Canada, we launched the 425, which was the bar for, you know, for five minutes after 420. The hunger that comes for five minutes after 420. So I can imagine that he went for it. <laughs> so we sold it all the way to, up to Pennsylvania. So that was quite a, a sales pitch. Uh, but that show that goes to say to how, you know, they started looking at creativity as a competitive advantage and the results were amazing. They were proud of it. And at the end, they were asking for more. So it was very the transform, transformative time at Hershey in Canada. It, it's empowering, you know. To, Absolutely. Kind of risky, right? To come up with yeah. 425. I don't. I didn't know that one. That's that's very yeah. clever. And to your point, I think the interesting thing that you also just mentioned there about about 
uh, Hershey and your perspective on some of that that you got from McDonald's was, again, creative is just so, it's so integral. We can buy as many eyeballs as we want. We can buy as many super targeted this person here. But man, if the creative just doesn't, if it doesn't grab your attention, if it doesn't make you just stop or at least pause or just have an emotional feel about it, any emotional feel about it, what are you, what are you doing? You know, it, it gets, unfortunately, it feels like it gets overlooked more and more. Now, the job is getting more complicated. It's a lot more data driven. Just because we're good at tool, we've got more and more sophisticated tool to do that. And that's important. But, you know, it's not, you're not selling the technology behind how you bought the media. You, you got to reach out to people. You got to connect. Yeah, you so have you to can, connect, you know. and that's tough. That's hard. That's what a lot of marketers wants to overlook. And they kind of sometimes play down the creativity because it's, it's a source of anxiety for most marketers because not too many people can do it. Well, because, you know, again, you think of anything like comedy or drama or anything that creates an emotional feel, there's risk, right? So you exactly. make sure you're not offending anybody or, and with right. social media, you can't put out anything that creates any feel of emotion and not have somebody get emotional about it. So whether it's comedy or whether it's drama or whatever the angle is that you're taking, if it's just vanilla, yeah, you're probably not getting any pushback because nobody cares. Exactly. Nobody cares. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? Because to have something powerful, you need to create a tension. And that tension, especially internally in big organization, is sometimes misunderstood as, as risk. They feel something and they confuse it as potentially controversial but that feeling to me i was using it as a beacon of we're onto something there were specific people in the organization that when i was pitching the idea we felt uncomfortable i was great we're onto something it wasn't a stop doing it it was but let's push it because we got something you know james corden the uh the late night tv host here in the u.s i don't know if you guys have his show there but yeah yeah. he was on howard stern one time he was just talking about comedy in general and he was just saying you know again uh it's okay if you're offended by something i say that's okay right but it it, then either don't listen or go do something else but that's you know that's where that's where our emotions live it lives from us kind of going what did i just hear and either saying damn that was funny or going what did I just hear? Gosh, I, I don't agree with that. We can't all agree with everything that's out there. And again, no. as marketers, if you are not, if you're not taking a little bit of a risk to put something out there that might potentially offend somebody, to your point a little bit, uh, you know, Matthew, you're you're probably just not going to get matter. noticed. And so nope. then it does it doesn't matter how many eyeballs you buy. Again, with your super targeted digital first party attribution, if if it doesn't make me just even stop and look, then you've just wasted money. Right. I mean, nowadays, like now, there's so many ways to skip advertising. And people more than ever don't want to be advertised to. So what you need to be, what you need to do, a brand needs to become an entertainer. When you're bringing up James Corbin, exactly in the same place. And we were managing in the same way as in, if we start doing it the old way, as I remember the start of my career, there's no way we could do anything controversial. We need to be squeaky clean. It's no longer possible, but you could do it. But then you get the comfort of not hearing anyone saying about your brand and being confused by saying, oh, we did a great job, but actually it's the contrary. But you need. Suddenly, then your marketing you know, manager is doing a horrible job because sales aren't moving, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And you can blame something else. <laughs> but, uh, but right. So you, you need to have a personality that's colorful so that people will really kind of, the people who understand it are really going to have a special bond with the brand. And that's going to be most valuable, more valuable than anything else than if you were just a known brand with no one really feeling anything strongly about the brand. 
that's the new world. That's the, you got to do some, something in social media. If you can see negative reaction or some negative reaction, then you know you got to be okay with that. It's not controversy for the sake of controversy. What you do that might be controversial for someone needs to be meaningful for at least a group of people. If it's just about being offensive and offending people just to get noticed, that's pointless. But if you're true to the brand, if you're saying something that's authentic to yourself, even if it's not understood by other people who are not that involved with the brand, but it really resonates with your, your core group, that's great. How are you going to take all of that experience to zero dB? How do you take everything that you've learned along the way and the work that you'd already started kind of doing there? How do you, how do you take that to the next level now with a startup yeah. to some extent? Every, so everything is to be built with zero dB. It's a very, it's a very, very young brand. And I'm, you know, I don't know, we're sharing the experience with other people who've done the same kind of move. They're saying, Hey, I was back to the basic. Yesterday I was on a golf course sampling products. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that I haven't, I don't think I've done ever, but we got, VPs doing the same thing and another startup like yeah, yeah we're doing it um, but at this level um, there's a lot of so the benefit of being sampled you know back to the basic is I'm talking about the product I'm getting live reaction and I'm shaping what the brand is going to be because there's a, a product like ZooDB surprisingly because it's a drink it's, it's a very technical product there's a lot of science like how do I distill down a message that really kind of up to the consumer in a way they can understand it. It's still about connecting with people. I got a lot less means than I had at Hershey to connect with them. But that thinking of really finding the core and have a message that resonates to that core, that's not a mass media approach. And that wasn't a mass media. I would buy mass media for sake of efficiency because I could afford it with a Hershey, but my message was still tailored for the people who understood me. <laughs> It's still a very target group, which is what I'm building with UDB right now. It's a really great category. It's it's super hot in the U.S. now as well. Again, yeah. because of that, some of that flattening. I had a, a buddy, Brandon Kaysen, who was at Deep Eddie Vodka for many years, helped yeah. me to understand flavor profiles and some of that stuff that I'd just never been in, involved in kind of seeing it from a brand development standpoint. And he did the same thing a couple of years ago. He decided, let me jump out and kind of do my own thing. And so he's got a brand called Canteen that's in the spirits business. And uh, mm-hmm. it's great to just see him, you know, you talked about kind of hitting the streets, putting your, you know, your, your product in the hands of some consumers directly yourself and kind of going, what do you think? There's a beauty to that, you know, a little scary. You're walking on a tightrope a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. At, the, at the same time for him, which I'm sure it's the same for you, he always knew he could go back if he really... I needed to. Uh, I think he's well on his way to some some great success, and I'm sure you guys, you know, are are as well. What's out there that you wish you knew more about, uh, Matthew? What what in this crazy space do you spend some of your time trying to say? Gosh, if I knew a little bit more about this, it would be helpful. About my profession or about my approach? Either. either um, like, what are you, you know, I, I, trying to learn? I I wish I would have used. I would have connect with experienced people earlier mm-hmm. in my career. That's something I haven't been good at in the beginning of my career, networking, but not networking with, you know, being young, most people are all just eager to move up, you know, just, but networking to learn from people's experience, listen a different way than, because we don't do it, we're not really good, most young people are not good at listening. They're really looking for a mic to talk to and then sell themselves. I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) As he says while I'm sitting on my microphone. Whatever, Matthew. The show is over, my friend. I got a bigger mic. (laughs) Oh, now you're bragging. Listen, that ain't hard, Matthew. That ain't hard. (laughs) 
Uh, no, no, but you I, know what I mean. I mean, it's the listening because there's so much interesting people out there that have something to say, something to teach and learning from the experience. There's a, not in a way to take shortcuts, but there's a lot of things that I could have learned earlier in my career. You know, when you're driven, it's hard sometimes to not to, to listen. It's one of my worst traits. Listening is absolutely yeah. sometimes one of my worst traits. Well, Hopefully this guilty, show is Guilty as charged. Somewhere along the way. Well, listen, <laughs> it was super both. awesome talking to you. I absolutely love the Thank Canadian you. market. We've had some some clients, you know, up there. And it's, it's fascinating to me, that just the vastness of the size of the country and the uniqueness then of kind of these little... Mm. Uh, these little microcosm, you know, parts of it. Uh, you add in this whole French mm-hmm. element to it as well. It's so, so, so really interesting. We're excited to see what you do, uh, Matthew. We greatly, greatly appreciate you spending some time joining us on this season of the CMO Suite, and we can't wait to see what happens with the brand from here. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Thanks for hanging out in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You're a C-level manager. You shouldn't have to know the difference between behavioral or contextual targeting, but your agency should. UConnex provides brands and biddable teams direct access to platforms like the Trade Desk, Google, Amazon, Facebook, OTT, and more. Their U.S.-based traders can train your in-house team or provide complete transparency with no minimums and CPM-based service pricing for true transparency, something Mighty Hive, the Trade Desk, and Centro simply don't offer. Tired of being the smartest one in the room? Reach out to UConnects today for a free demo. UConnects, the world's leader in true, transparent, biddable media. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With Season 6, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org.